And good morning once again. Good to see everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And if you're new with us, again, we'd like to welcome you. It's good to see you this morning. And we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. And we find ourselves in a section in John's Gospel. Taking a little extra time with John 5 because... Uh, many consider it one of the greatest chapters in the Gospel of John. A lot of truth being disseminated. We want to make sure we don't rush through it, and we want to mine from it what God has placed here for our learning. But uh, we're in a section in John 5 where Jesus is declaring his divinity. No small issue, as we have been talking about, that's absolutely critical, that you understand that Jesus is God in human form. If you are going to be saved, not a God, not one of many roads that lead to heaven, but the God, Almighty God, second person of the Trinity. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 17 to 30, Jesus makes five claims to his own divinity, five claims of equality with God the Father. He claims equality with God in his person, verses 17 and 18. He claims equality with God in his work, verse 19. In his power over life and death, verses 20 and 21. In his authority to judge, verse 22 and then verses 24 to 30. And finally, Jesus claims equality with God in honor, verse 23. Now, we have been looking at the fourth main point in our outline, Jesus claims equality with God in his authority to judge. Now, if you would back up to verse 21 one more time, where the Lord Jesus said, For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And as we have said repeatedly in this series, in verses 21 and 22, Jesus claimed equality with the Father in his power to raise the dead. And then he coupled it with a claim of equality with the Father in his authority to judge the world. And then, starting with verse 24 and running through verse 29, the Lord amplifies this truth, focusing his remarks on the resurrection of the dead and the coming judgment. Now, guys, as we've already stated, Jesus is qualified to sit in judgment over the people of this world for two very important reasons, both of which are rooted in his divinity. Number one, he is the creator. He is the creator. The only person in the universe who has the right to sit in judgment of the people of this world is the one who created those people and gave them life in the first place, God Almighty. More specifically, the Lord Jesus Christ, as John made abundantly clear when he opened his gospel in chapter 1, verse 3, when he said all things were made by him, by Jesus Christ. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Okay? And secondly, because he is sinless. The only person who could righteously sit in judgment of mankind was a man, a descendant of Adam, who himself was morally perfect and sinless. And that man, of course, was Jesus Christ, God in human form, with the th whom the theologians called the God-man. So when Jesus said the Father has given him the responsibility, the authority of judging the people of this world, guys, listen, it was yet another declaration of his divinity. 
because only God has the right to sit in judgment of sinful mankind. But once again, resurrection and ultimately judgment are the subjects that are being dealt with in John 5, verses 24 to 29. Now, I'm not going to read the verses, these verses again. We've read them numerous times. You can read them on your own. But in these verses, as we have pointed out, there are three different resurrections in view. One is spiritual, and the other two are physical. I point that out because people that read John 5, 24 to 29, and don't understand that, but try to lump everything he's saying into one giant resurrection, are going to come away very confused, and have been confused. You have to understand something. The first resurrection Jesus spoke about was verses 24 to 27, and he was talking about the resurrection of lost sinners. Spiritual resurrection. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2.1? We were once dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but God saved us. We accepted Christ, and at that moment we were raised to new life. Jesus said of this resurrection, he said the hour now is for this resurrection, not 60 minute period of time, but a, a period of human history. The hour of this resurrection now is, of course. Today is a day of salvation. Today we go out into all the world as Jesus commanded his church and preach the good news to everybody. Today is the day when we are to be actively involved in the work of God, sharing the gospel, living in the light, that people would see our light, be drawn to Christ, and be saved. And when we pray with them to be saved, or when they go home after we've witnessed to them and pray on their own, that's fine. At that moment, they are raised to new life. And the next resurrection he talked about was in verses 28 to 29, beginning part of 29, was the physical resurrection of believers. Now, I don't have time to go back and rehash this because we want to focus on that third physical resurrection primarily this morning. You can go online and listen to the, uh, to the, uh, the teaching. We talked about the physical resurrection of believers. The first resurrection is what it's called. It's not an event, a single event. It's a category containing numerous resurrections. Jesus, the first fruit, of course, was the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. And then, of course, his church, Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, millennial kingdom saints. You can go online and listen to the teaching. I want to focus now this morning on that third resurrection, the physical resurrection of unbelievers. You see it at the end of verse 29. The final resurrection of all unbelievers is what Jesus called the resurrection of condemnation. See it there again, verse 29, at the end of the verse. Guys, this judgment of unbelievers is described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. And it takes place after the millennial kingdom. So when Jesus comes back, second coming, he establishes upon the earth his kingdom. That will be a kingdom that will last a thousand years. And after that kingdom, then you're going to have this resurrection, which is a resurrection of all unbelievers. Turn to Revelation 20. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at this resurrection and the accompanying judgment. Let me just say this as you're turning there. We are living in a time when most people believe that there won't ever be a day of reckoning coming. When they will stand before God and give an account for the lives they've lived upon the earth. A lot of folks, don't, they, they're living as if there's never going to be a day of reckoning coming. 
Uh, many don't even believe um, that there will ever be a day when they will have to answer for their sins because they don't believe in sin. They don't believe there's such a thing as sin. Uh, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth, they say. And if it's okay for you, if you feel it's okay, it's okay. Who am I to judge you? Who are you to judge me? That's the day we're living in, all right? They don't believe there's ever going to be a day of judgment coming. They are absolutely wrong on that. And guys, this passage, more than any other, gives us a look at that coming day. So Revelation 20, let's pick it up in verse 11. Then I saw, John speaking, then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. These are those who were in Hades uh, up until this moment and now have been resurrected to stand before the Lord. Uh, he said, I saw them standing before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And once again, this is what Jesus called the resurrection of condemnation. The word condemnation is a Greek word that means judgment. Judgment. But judgment is in a punitive judgment rendered in a court of law. That kind of judgment. Look, someday all unbelievers are going to be resurrected bodily from the dead and will stand before God Almighty what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. Let's break this passage down and see what God has to say about it in his word. The first point I'm going to bring up is what I'll call the Supreme Court of the universe. Verse 11, John said, Then I saw a great white throne. Here we're given a glimpse of the Supreme Court, not of America or even of the world, but of the whole universe. The whole universe. And as I just said, the great white throne is where all unbelievers will be resurrected to stand before someday. Those who died on the earth without receiving Jesus as their Savior. It is great because there is no higher court. It's supreme. It is white because of the perfection, purity, and righteousness of the decisions handed down from it. We saw the supreme court of the universe. Number two, we see the supreme judge of the universe. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Who is this judge? Well, it's not hard to figure out. He is none other than, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that from John 5:22 and verse 27. John 5:22 Jesus said for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Verse 27 and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of man. He is a flesh and blood descendant of Adam. In Adam all die. Our forefather Adam blew it for all of us. In Adam all die, the first Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, a fully man, born of Mary, okay? A kinsman redeemer. He had the right to die for our sins because he lived a sinless life and he was a descendant of mankind. He was a true flesh and blood man. And so he has the authority, the right to judge because he is one of us, 
but lived a perfect sinless life, which gives him the right to judge. Revelation 20, verse 11, John said again, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, listen, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. From the face of Jesus, the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I mean, here John describes an awesome scene, an awesome scene. Heaven and earth will flee away and no place will be left for sinners to hide. Every one of these people is going to have to appear before the judge. I was telling first service that we live at a time, well, it's always been this way, but you know, we live at a time especially when there's a lot of very powerful people. I don't care if you're talking about political power, uh, 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 corporate power, underworld power. There are a lot of people in this world who wield power and will do whatever they have to do to increase that power, hold on to that power, no matter what it takes. And they plot all kinds of evil things in dark places, in secret rooms, decisions that will wind up affecting everyday people. But they don't care, because all they do, they're consumed with power. They think they're getting away with something. In fact, the Bible says of these people, they say God doesn't see. Oh, really? He doesn't? Well, here we're told God, heaven and earth are pushed aside, and all these people are left out in the open. They will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.13, 4, For there is nothing hidden from his sight. All things are open and naked. In the eyes of him to whom we must someday give an account. They will give an account to him. So far, guys, we have seen that court has been convened and the judge is seated where? On the bench? Isn't that where judges sit? On the bench? He's sitting where? On the throne. Because this judge is also the king. Next, we see the summons. The summons. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Guys, notice something. Don't miss this. Notice we see a judge, but no jury. We see defendants, but no defense attorneys. That's because this is not a trial. The case for man's guilt was already decided. It was decided in the Garden of Eden when God pronounced the curse on Adam, Eve, and all their descendants. That was God's way of pronouncing the human race guilty. Of course, death was a result of sin. The fact that death came into existence at this time, and every time someone dies, it proves that we are guilty before God. We are guilty, fallen sinners. Physical death is what reminds us of the fact that we, as a people, Adam, of course, and Eve uh, disobeyed God, but that was passed down to all of us. All of us were born rebels against God, defiled sinners. And physical death is God's way of reminding us every single day of our lives that we see people we love die. Uh, that uh, That is a, a testimony to the fact that man is guilty. And in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced the curse. Again, a, a proclamation of guilt. Man is guilty before God. It's already been decided. The case is closed. It's over. Jesus said this in John 3, when he said, Look, I haven't come to judge the world at my first coming came to save the world. He who believes in me is not condemned. 
But he who does not believe in me is what? Condemned already. We're all condemned sinners. So guys, this is not a trial. This is not a trial. Well, what is it? What we read about in Revelation 20 is what our system of jurisprudence calls the sentencing stage. When a person has been convicted of a crime and goes before a judge and a jury, and if that person is found guilty, he or she is then taken out and brought back at some point later on down the road. I don't know if it's a week or two. I think I read somewhere 90 days max. before uh, You have to sentence them then before the 90 days, something like that. But at the sentencing phase, they are brought back in before the judge and hear what their punishment is going to be. When you read Revelation 20, 11 to 15, think of that. Because that's really what's going on here. All right? This is the sentencing stage. Man's guilty. Now he learns his fate, what his punishment's going to be. Verse 12, beginning part. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing, referring to bodily resurrection, before God. I saw the small and great standing before God. The small and the great doesn't refer to their physical stature, but to their supposed importance upon the earth in life. So here we see a picture of Judgment Day. And the small, in other words, the slave, the poor, the insignificant and the unimportant, standing next to the great, the kings and presidents, senators and CEOs, the rich and the famous. This group would include the atheists and so-called intellectuals who mocked the existence of God, those who were too cool for God and made fun out of those who were stupid enough to believe in him. I can't help but think of the late-night comedians, you know? This group includes all rebels who ever lived on the earth who refused to bow the knee to Jesus as their king. You know, the Henleys who shook their fist in the face of a holy God and cried, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And all those whose life song, so to speak, was I did it my way in defiance of God. We see here, guys, all the so-called somebodies and the lowly nobodies, the irreligious and the very religious, all standing before God on equal ground, and all bound together by their common willful unbelief. These are those who rejected the love of the truth, the gospel, which would have saved them from this terrifying day. And now they stand before the one who loved them and who gave himself for them, whom they rejected as their loving Savior, now he becomes their righteous judge. And remember that God is no respecter of persons. He isn't impressed by fame and wealth, by kings and presidents. Listen to me. All will be judged fairly, impartially, and righteously. Where do these dead come from? Beginning at verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Death is just a way of saying the physical grave, the place where their bodies were buried, at one point gave up the dead. I was telling first service, of course, you remember the story of Lazarus. We're going to study that 
uh, when we get to chapter 11. Remember how Lazarus died, right? And was in the grave for four days. And Jesus finally gets there, purposely waiting that amount of time, okay? The fourth day, they believed that decay started to set in. So he wanted everyone to know that Lazarus was good and dead, right? Uh, so he comes to where the tomb is, right? And what did he do? What did he cry out? Lazarus, come forth. Now, it's a good thing he said, Lazarus, come forth. If he would have just said, come forth, all the tombs in the world would have emptied out. No, this time, uh, only Lazarus, come forth. Hey, there is coming a time when he will say, come forth. And all these unbelievers will be resurrected to stand before him at the great white throne judgment. Death, literal grave. Hades, well, that's the place where their soul went. And is still today. We talked about Hades. I won't go back into it. A place of incarceration somewhere in the center of the earth where the souls of departed ones, the unbelievers, go and are kept until this moment when their bodies are resurrected and their soul is reunited with their body and they stand before Jesus Christ. There's even going to be a resurrection of bodies from the sea. No, nobody's going to escape. I like what pastor and author J. Vernon McGee said on this subject, quoting out of Revelation where it says, and the sea gave up the dead that were in it. He goes on and says, multitudes who have gone to a watery grave in which the chemicals of their bodies have been dissolved in the waters of the sea will be raised. God will have no problem with this. After all, they are only atoms. He just has to put them together again. He did it once, he can do it again. The graves on earth will give up their bodies, and Hades, the place where the souls of the lost go, will disgorge for this judgment, end quote. So guys, we have seen the Supreme Court of the universe, number one, the Supreme Judge of the universe, number two. We have seen the summons, number three. Number four, we see the judgment. Verse 12, once again, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books, listen, plural, the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Jesus Christ will judge these unsaved people on the basis of what is written in the books. Which books? Well, we're not told specifically. It's not hard to figure out which books. We'll just go back into Scripture and find out where it talks about books and things. All right? The first one's easy, the Word of God. The Word of God is God's standard of right and wrong, right? It's His laws. You, you go to court to defend yourself against crimes committed against the state, laws that you have supposedly broken. God has got his laws. And those are found in his word. And these people who rejected God's word, didn't want anything to do with God's word, wanted to live lives of lawlessness, are going to stand be People think, I can live any way I want. I don't worry about God. I'll do what I want. Well, that's fine. You can do that right now. But don't think you're going to do it with impunity. 
uh, the day is coming. You can live out. God's giving you free will. You want to live in rebellion against what God has said in his word? Fine. That's up to you. I will tell you, the way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. Sin will beat the snot out of you. But that's okay. I mean, some people really love to have, do their sin, okay? But that doesn't mean. It's somebody has said you can pick your actions, you can't pick your consequences. Okay? You can choose to smoke all your life. You can't choose whether or not you get lung cancer. You can choose to jump off a building if you want. You can't choose whether or not you hit the ground. You, you, we have the power to make decisions, but we don't have the power to choose our consequences. And this is what God is wanting to, us to know as we study his word. This way is the best way for you to go. It's my word. If you walk in it, not only will you honor me, but I will bless you. I'll keep evil. Well, not that no evil ever touches a child of God, but I'm just saying. For the most part, God will watch over us. But if a person chooses to live contrary to God's word, he or she can do that. But there's going to come a day of reckoning. And we're reading about it right now. The first book that is opened that people are judged by is the word of God. John 12, 48. Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So this is obvious, right? This is one of the books that's going to be open. I mean, every sinner is going to be held accountable for the truth he or she has heard during the course of of their life. That's why it's a terrifying thing for me as a pastor to see people who come to our church week after week, week after week, month after month, sometimes year after year, and I don't think they've really received Christ yet. And I know they're sitting under the teaching of the word every single week, and it really terrifies me because if they don't get their life right with God before they die, they're going to be held accountable for all the truth that they learned but didn't do anything with. You know, I'm convinced that a lot of people right now in Hades were churchgoers, okay? I, I really they grew up in church, maybe went to Awanas, something like that. And I'm convinced right now they are thinking to themselves, God made a terrible mistake. I shouldn't be here. I'm a good person. I went to church. I, you know, I heard the word taught. I heard the gospel preached. Yes, that's the problem. You heard it. You didn't do anything about it. Remember what James said, James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, listen, you are only fooling yourself. Remember what Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 7 about many who will come to him on the day of judgment. We're reading about it right here. Revelation 20. Here's what Jesus said they're going to say to them. They're going to say to him. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord. So these folks were not atheists or agnostics. They're churchgoers. They call him Lord. They knew him as Lord, right? Or knew who he was. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who lived in, in disobedience to God's laws. Now, folks, don't let this throw you. Didn't we cast out demons and prophesy and work miracles in your name? Look, Jesus isn't saying they actually did those things. They thought they did those things. 
There's a lot of prosperity preachers that think they cast out demons every day, you know, and prophesy. You know. They think they're doing those things. But I don't believe any of it's of God. So they think God's made a terrible mistake. When I stand before the Lord, I'm going to explain everything to him. I'm going to tell him what a good person I am. We'll talk about that in a moment. So first of all, you have the Word of God. That's one of the, one of the books. Second book is the ledger of God. The ledger. What is a ledger? Well, in accounting, it's what you put your uh, deposits and uh, your expenditures on. Keep a running balance and things, right? If you spend more than you make, you're in the red. Not a good thing. If you don't spend more than you make, you're in the black, okay? God has a ledger too. In fact, Paul talked about it in Colossians 2, verse 14. He called it the record that contained the charges against us. The record that contained the charges that were against us. Guys, the Bible says that every sin that a person commits against God's law, God's law, think of the Ten Commandments primarily. God's law is 613 commandments. But the ten, we think of the most. Every time a person violates one of God's commandments, that is a debt that he or she owes God. A debt that has to be paid. you got to think Jewish now. The Jewish people thought of sin in terms of a debt that they owed God. That's why they brought an animal sacrifice. They owed God. That's why Jesus said, pray like this. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because in the Jewish mind, all sin was a debt that they owed God, a debt that had to be paid. Now, we th talk in terms like this. We, we say if a person commits a crime and was convicted, he goes to prison for a while. When he gets out, what do we say of that person? He has paid his what? Debt to society. He has paid his debt to society. These sinners all got a tremendous debt. A debt they accumulated over the course of their lives. And God kept meticulous records of every word, thought, and action that violated his law. And now God is going to play the tape. He is going to show them how they have sinned. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins. Another way to put that would be to pay our debt. In Isaiah 53, I'll just have you write these down. You know them. Uh, we don't have time to have you turn to them. But Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed from God. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. Jesus was our substitute. It's what the theologians call a penal substitution, penal punishment substitute. Another was punished in our place. That is what the gospel is all about. Another was punished in our place. And the only one who could have been punished for our sin 
was a sinless son, son of God, Jesus Christ. Sinners can't die for sinners. Of course, again, Paul said in Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All these sins we had committed against God, word, thought, and deed, were written in God's ledger that were against us. But when Jesus died on the cross, before he dismissed the spirit, he said, it is finished. The Greek is tetelestai, which could be translated paid in full. Let me quickly just share something with you. Um, well, I know we're going to get short on time soon, but I would just say this. When Paul talks about how he nailed all of our sins to his cross and took them out of the way, Paul was picking up on something that was very common in his day. Whenever a person committed crimes and was found guilty, they took all the crimes that he was found guilty of, wrote it on a piece of parchment, and nailed it to his prison door. After he finished paying his debt to society, it was taken down, and on the bottom they wrote to Telestai, paid in full, rolled it up, gave it to him. And that was always his, uh, his um, protection against double jeopardy. In other words, if anyone accused him of not paying for those crimes, he could pull out the scroll and show them that the debt had been paid. We had this scroll full of crimes. What did Jesus do? He nailed it to his cross. He nailed it to his cross and paid our debt and said to Telestai when it was all said and done. That's pretty remarkable. Now listen to me. If a person refuses to receive what Jesus did in Calvary's cross, how he shed his blood to pay for their sins, all their sins, then they will have to stand before God someday and be sentenced to pay for their own sins. I know right now some would say, not anybody in this room, but no doubt you know people who would say, oh, that's all right. I don't mind standing before God someday because I know I'm a good person. When I stand before God, I'm going to plead my case. We talked about this. I'm going to tell him all the good things I did on the earth, right? And, and, and I believe he'll be fair. And when he hears what a great guy I was, He'll be fair and let me into heaven. Again, I love, I love McGee. Here's what he said. Yes, my friend, you will be able to get a fair trial there. Your life is on tape, and Jesus Christ, the judge, happens to have the tape. I think he will have it on a television screen, like maybe a jumbotron in heaven. Are you willing to stand before God and have him play the tape of your life? And do not know about, uh, I do not know about you, but... I could not make it. Thank God for his grace. And he quotes Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Salvation is a gift of God, not the result of our good works, lest any should boast. And guys, that's why we don't see any legal representation for this people, for these people. There's no defense attorney because the one, the only one who could have defended them against the judgment of God, they rejected Turn to 1 John chapter 2 quickly. We don't see any defense attorney because they rejected the defense attorney. 1 John 2, verse 1, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... 
We have an advocate. The Greek word there means a, an attorney for the defense. Whenever you read 1 John 2 now, verses 1 and 2, you'll understand. John is talking about a court of law, basically. And he is saying, look, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have an attorney for the defense who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only uh, for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So guys, someone, someone would say at this point, well, so if these people have already been found guilty, then what is the purpose or what purpose does the great white throne judgment serve? Well, we've already talked about it, okay? The purpose of the great white throne judgment, guys, is not, listen, to determine a person's guilt before God. See, they think this is going to be their day in court, right? You hear unbelievers talk about this. Well, you know, uh, what about the day of judgment? Are you, you're not, you're not living for God. You're not, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doing your own thing. You know, aren't you afraid to stand before God someday and have Him send you to? Hell? No, I'm not afraid of that. I'm going to have my day in court. I'm going to pr present my case. He's going to let me I, go into heaven. I know it because I'm a good person. That kind of thing. The great white throne judgment is not to determine a person's guilt or innocence before God, as I've already said, that was determined in the Garden of Eden. The purpose of the great white throne judgment will be to determine the degree of punishment each guilty person will endure in hell. I don't have time to have attorneys. You can write them down, look them up on your own. Matthew 11, 20 to 24. Luke 12, verses 47 to 8, talks about there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Look, I want you to understand this. God doesn't send people to hell for the wicked things they have done anymore. That shocks me. We mean he doesn't send people to hell for their wicked deeds. That's right. God doesn't send people to hell for the wicked things they have done, listen, any more than he brings people to heaven for the good things they have done. Whether a person winds up spending eternity in heaven or in hell depends on whether or not they received or rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior while on the earth. These folks in Revelation 20, these people are going to hell not for the wicked things they have done, but for rejecting Christ as their Savior. But notice something. Verse 13 tells us they are judged according to their what? Works. Because their works, evil deeds will be used by God to determine their degree of punishment in hell. Just as a Christian's good works done for the Lord while on the earth will determine their degree of reward in heaven. But the works don't get a person into heaven or keep them out of heaven. That's faith. Whether you accept or reject Christ. Now, after you do that, then whatever works you're doing, works of the flesh, works of the spirit will determine your degree of punishment in hell or in heaven, depending on whether or not you've received Christ. You know, I, as I said before, most sinners think they're good people. Not perfect, mind you. Okay, they'll, they'll say that. But certainly good enough to get them into heaven when they die. Okay, these works are theirs. They are harboring under a grave misconception. They're confident that their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, 
so much so that they believe in the day of judgment when they stand before the Lord because they believe their good deeds have outweighed the bad, God's going to let them into heaven. They don't realize it doesn't work like that. James tells us in chapter 2, if you have one sin in your soul, you're not going to get to heaven. Okay? Because what's required to get into heaven is perfection, sinless perfection. Well, none of us can achieve that. But if I'm in Christ who achieved it, God doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. And that's how he lets me into heaven. Not because of what I did or didn't do, because of what Jesus did. He lived the perfect life and so on. But these folks, you know, they believe that their good deeds, all their good works, all the candles they lit and the rosaries they prayed and the times they went to church and, you know, and how they got the cat out of the tree and went down to the local food pantry and, and passed out whatever, uh, you know, that kind of, I'm a good person. See all the good things I do. They feel that when they, like when they stand before God someday, God will look at all that and go, oh, I'm pretty impressed by all you did. Come on in, you know. They don't realize, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, verse 6, God speaking, people like this wrap themselves in all their good works. They clothe themselves in their self-righteous deeds, but God calls them filthy rags. And the Hebrew is pretty strong, used menstrual cloths. Because a woman in the time of her monthly impurity was considered defiled. And so God looks at all of our works in the flesh as nothing but defilement. Now look, in the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus said God was offering them the wedding garment, the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness, right? But they wouldn't wear it. They thought they were good enough to be there based on what they did. Well, guys, quickly, that brings us, and now I meant to say, now they will stand before him, Revelation 20, 13, clothed in their own works of right, again, filthy garments. But there's a third book mentioned in Revelation 20, quickly. The books were open, okay, the word of God and the ledger that contained all the things we did wrong, all the sins we committed. But then there's a third book, the book of life, Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, small, and great standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Guys, the book of life is the official registry of heaven, which corresponded in John's day to the registry of citizens that cities kept, uh, these ledgers that they kept in these ancient cities. You see, back then, whenever a child was born, their name was, was immediately written into the official registry of the city, that city in which they were born, which meant they were now recognized as an official citizen of that town. That was important because it guaranteed them all the rights and privileges of citizenship. That's a little different from what God talks about, but it's essentially the same. The Bible says God in his foreknowledge knew from eternity past all those who would receive Christ when the gospel was presented, would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior uh, during their life on the earth. And as such, their names were written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world. You can read about that in, uh, in Ephesians 1 verse 4, Revelation 13 verse 8. They are now written in God's book of life. That's the final book God takes out. Okay, he says, well, uh, the book of life, your name is not in here. Okay, to these sinners. Which is sad because Jesus said, come to me. All 
who labor and are heavy laden. Anyone who wants to receive Christ can. There, there's no restrictions. Don't care what you've done in your life, how bad you've lived. Jesus, come to me. I'll, I'll receive you. And if you come to Christ and give him your heart, receive him as your Savior, you will know at that instant that your name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Because the Bible says it right here. Now look, we're done. But let me just finish by saying this. So after the righteous judge of the universe, Jesus Christ, assigns to each unbeliever who stands before him at the great white throne judgment their personal sentence for the crimes they committed against Almighty God, then finally we see, number five, the sentence is carried out. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. As we said last week, that is hell. Somewhere in the outer darkness, a place so far out in the universe that no light gets to it. Uh, Henry Morris, who was a devout uh, Christian and a scientist, real scientist, uh, said that he believes the lake of fire could be uh, a literal star. Which He said, what is a star? It's a lake of fire. Okay, And some fire... Uh, burns in a light spectrum that gives off no light, but it's burning. He says, and that's how it's going to be for the lake of fire. It will be burning, but no light will be given. Guys, just one last thing. When it comes to the judgment of God upon guilty sinners, when the Lord sentences each person to the punishment that they have deserved for the sins they have committed, Understand this. There will be no plea bargains and no appeals will be allowed for this is the Supreme Court of the universe and all verdicts, all sentences are final and forever. Wow. If a person goes to hell, they won't go to hell for a year or 10 years, like in our penal system maybe. They, they won't go for 100 years or 1,000 years. They will go for eternity. With that in mind, let me just ask you this question, and we'll close. What will you choose today? The great white stone or the great white throne? What do you mean? I won't have you turn to it. You can read it on your own right at time. Revelation 2.17, Jesus promises that anyone who puts their faith in him when they stand before him someday, any believer now, he is going to give them a white stone. Now, in those days, that was a sign of acceptance, right? Um, sometimes even juries would vote on guilt or innocence by using a white or a black stone. We have a phrase even today, that they were blackballed, right? They were rejected, Okay. By Jesus saying, if you have put your faith in me someday, when you stand before me, I will give you a white stone. It just simply means I will receive you. I will accept you into my kingdom. Now, in contrast to the great white stone, the alternative is the great white throne, which we've talked about. And the writer of the Hebrews elaborates on the great white throne judgment for all those who reject Jesus as a Savior. I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 10 he said, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth. So you hear the gospel, you reject it. Keep on sinning. 
there's nothing left for God to do that will um, forgive you your sins. There's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Verse 31, it is a terrible, the idea is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God apart from Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, guys, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and telling you, look, you need to get right with God. Uh, you, you may not have tomorrow. James says tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Our life is like a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. If a person dies without receiving Christ, they are forever lost. Yet people say, I got time. Yeah, you know what? I've been listening to that guy I work with or uh, my, my brother who's a Christian. I, I've been listening. You know, I, I think they're right. And someday I plan to get right with God. I, I plan to accept Christ. But I'm just not ready yet. You know, I'm going to sow my wild oats a little longer. I'm going to party with my friends. Today's the day of salvation. You may not get it tomorrow. God forbid you die in an accident on the way home. Burn your sleep from a heart attack. And then it's too late. You can't do a do-over. God, can I have a do-over? I'm ready now, Lord. I'm ready now to receive you. No, no, it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put off making a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior a moment longer. Before you leave this place, come on up here so we can pray with you to receive Christ. Give you a Bible. You can walk out of here a child of God whose name is written in heaven as a citizen of heaven. God forbid you should die without Christ. It's too horrible to think about. And totally unnecessary. When Jesus did all the work and is inviting you to come, may God give you grace to make the right decision. Father, we ask you, Lord, to, well, we thank you, first of all, for your great love wherewith you loved us how that you came down, died on the cross for our sins, that we might be saved. And Father, if there's anybody in this room who has not received you, Lord Jesus, please work in their hearts. Please impress upon them the urgency of this decision. Because if they die without you, that's, that's it. And Lord, we just give them to you, we give our loved ones to you who don't know you. Lord, please touch them, open their eyes, save them. Bring them to you. Lord, we thank you. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.